I had a guy leave first service say, good work, pastor. That was a tough thing to deal with. And I immediately panicked and went, did he agree or not? I don't know. Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Listen. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. That actually literally means don't let any job be too low for you. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we thank you. Lord, that in this heated political climate, the church has a chance to stand out. We have a chance to show people what's important. And we have a chance to love people the way you love them. So we ask for the courage to do that today, Lord. We ask that you equip us by your spirit to be peacemakers. Thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we know whenever whenever there is a hardship, there's an opportunity. So we pray that the church would be the light that you so desperately want us to be. Thank you for this opportunity. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, We'll just start off. If you turn to your person on your right and ask them which political affiliation they're with. (laughs) And then you turn to your left and ask the same thing. And then um, if all the the people on the left could get on this side... Uh, it's, uh, (laughs) it's bad out there. And, um, you turn on the TV at night, you turn on the radio, it's just, we're consumed with it. It's, uh, it's everywhere you look, every, um, you know, this election's the most important election ever. Every election's the most important election ever. And, um, and what's so ironic is, is that we become anxious by the people who are paid to make us anxious. If you turn on the TV, you realize those people are getting paid to disagree. They may walk away from that TV, uh, that, that studio, and have dinner together. But they make their money creating anxiety in us. And so if we're not careful, the church can get duped into that and think it's our responsibility to have a certain political viewpoint, a certain support, certain this, a certain that. And before you try to figure out who I am, listen to the rest of the sermon. 
Paul starts talking to the church in Rome through this letter, and he says, love has to be sincere. And um, he said, look, you, you, you can't love somebody conditionally on, on their opinion about things. It's got to be a sincere love. You have to love people uh, the way Christ loved people. It's real. It's a real love. I'm not trying to love you to get you to come to church. This is not a bait and switch. Like, I love you, you come to church, and then it's like, okay, you're in church, now I don't have to love you anymore. Matter of fact, I'm not loving anybody to get them to come to church, to this church. Because if their attendance to this church is based on solely on their relationship with me, they probably won't come here very long. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Now, we love people to introduce them to Christ. We love people to see them saved. Jesus didn't love somebody so they could be part of some political organization or so they could be part of some other thing. He loved them to show them the way of salvation. That there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So, so in today's heated political environment, Paul is saying, your love has to be real. It can't be based on what a person thinks in this moment or that moment or, or, or how they're operating now or then. It, it has to be a real, genuine love. It can't be this wishy-washy, well, as long as you agree with me, I'll love you. And so I think today, more than ever before, the church has an opportunity to stand out. Because we can love people unconditionally, even if they don't agree with us. Even if they don't agree with us. Think about how many people Jesus loved that didn't agree with him. They killed him. That's pretty... Pretty much an indication they didn't agree with what he was doing. And yet hanging on the cross, his words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't, re, he didn't try to repay. If you let me down off this cross, I'm going to wipe you out. He didn't do anything like that. In the midst of him being judged and punished by people that didn't agree with him, he said, forgive them. They don't even realize what they're doing right now. And so in this political climate where, where we got to check people's affiliations at the door and we've got we to figure out, do you watch this news channel or that news channel or, or who you vote for? I can't believe you voted for them. In the midst of all that, the thing that has to rise out of the church is that we love people. And Paul says it has to be sincere. Can't be based on how somebody thinks or how somebody acts or, or, or what their sin is this week or next week. It's called unconditional love. It's got to be real. It's got to be sincere. It can't be this wishy-washy as long as you agree with me. Our love is not based on what people have done or will do for us. It's based on what Christ already has done for us. We love people because he loved us. We love people because we have been loved. Because he died while we were sinners, he died for us. So that means the way the Bible describes that is not that I was just out here doing my own thing and I was a pretty good guy. No, it describes us as enemies of God. It describes us as enemies of the cross. And while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Now superimpose that into political season. How much angst can get Insert it into us that overwhelms the love that Christ wants to shine out of us. 
Well, I can't talk to them. I can't support them. I can't, I can't be with them. I can't, I can't this, I can't. But they, they, they don't believe the right thing. They don't think the right thing. They don't, they're not doing the right thing. And the, all those things apply to us at one point in time or another. And Jesus said, even in the midst of all that you're doing wrong, I'll die for you. Even in the midst of you being an enemy, I'll die for you. Our love for others has to be sincere. We, we, um, I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, I got to go on the radio. Uh, it was last, last Monday, right? They invited me back. <laughs> so awesome. I don't know. When I, go, when I come out of the studio, I'm like, yes! <laughs> so um, I noticed they didn't invite me back until I was done. You want to hold that, make sure he doesn't make a fool of himself, then we'll invite him back. So, um, so I've been able to do this, and, and they invited me back uh, in November. And so what happened was, um, it's uh, 1340 WEPM, and it's Panhandle Live, and uh, I'll be on 945 to 10. You should record it, play it for dinner with your kids. <laughs> So what happens is uh, I'm, I'm going back and forth with a lady and, um, who's, who's great. They're, they're great. Uh, they're, they don't try to trap me because I'm a pastor. Like, well, what do you believe? So um, she said, do you have anything you want to talk about? I said, well, um, I mean, I, I can talk about anything really. What do you think? She said, well, if you don't have something specific, we could talk about civility in this political season. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, that sounds like an easy one. Sure, I'll come speak 15 minutes about that. So, so we're, we're on the radio. And I've said this before. I said, look, um, I want to make sure people know that I love them past their political affiliation. I want to make sure people know the church loves them past the opinion that they're more valuable than who they vote for. Think about that for a second. In our political climate, we've devalued people according to their political affiliation. We've made, whether they agree with us or not agree with us, uh, a platform to ridicule, a platform to devalue. And Jesus never did that. He, he never looked at Nicodemus and went, man, you're with those guys. I'm not going to talk to you about salvation. No, he loved him to the point that it would meet him on his own terms. Nicodemus is a guy who's meeting Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know he's meeting him. Hey, Jesus, I'd like to talk to you, but the people I'm associated with don't like you, so I want to meet you at night. Sure, fine. I care about you more than I care about who you're associated with. I care about you more than I care about your current sin. I care about you more than I care about how you understand things. I, you, I value you more than your current opinion. And I tried to bring that across on the radio saying, listen, until we can get to the place where people are more important than their political leaning, this will keep happening. But in the same breath, I realized the church has a wonderful opportunity to step up and let people know what sincere love looks like. What real love looks like. That, that you can't get me anxious enough where I don't love you anymore. You can't vote the wrong way enough for me not to love you anymore. You can't sin enough for me not to love you anymore. 
The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But in political climates like this, it's like some things can separate us from the love of the church. And my message today is we cannot let the church get co-opted by any political party. We have to focus on how do we love people to the gospel. No matter who's in office, no matter who's running, no matter, no matter how bad it gets or how good it gets, the issue is how do we love people to the gospel? And so what I have to do is I have to value people more than their current opinion. I don't know about you, but I've changed my opinion on a few things. Maybe two. <laughs> Maybe two. Maybe two. And so what I've had to learn is that the that the opinion a person holds today may not be the opinion they hold in 10 years. I tell my kids all the time. They're uh, 15, 17, and 19. I say, don't do anything permanent right now. Because you may change your mind about it. Don't get married. <laughs> my two daughters, I'm like, please don't get married. Your mom and I will find you a nice guy. We'll work it out. We'll let you know. Don't do anything permanent because you may change your mind. I'm not saying don't serve God permanently. I'm saying be careful on the absolute statements we make. Be careful about absolute statements we make about people. That person will never. I don't know that. All I know is Jesus always loves them. And then if I'm co-opted into a way of thinking about them because of certain opinions they have, then, then I, can, I, can, I can fail to realize that I'm supposed to always love them. My love has to be sincere. And what happens is you see political, I've seen communities ripped apart over political tensions and people not speak to other, each other in the church. In the church. And Paul, at the beginning of this section, he's talking about church people's love being sincere. For each other. We haven't even gotten to the people that don't believe yet. He's saying, in your love for each other, make sure you're sincere about it. So when that person shows up to church, and you're like, oh no, the way they... Love them. Let love come first. You know, you know what, I, I, I also said this on the radio. I should just play it back for you. Watch this. You know what frustrates me? I've never, I've never met a person that, how do I want to say this? In today's climate, we stereotype everybody. If you're this color, that color, live in this section of the country, that section of the country, if you do this for a living or that for a living, or, you're, or you have this many kids or don't many, this many kids, or you were born at this time or born at that time. And you know what? I've, I found out that people are a little more complicated than those stereotypes. That people rarely ever just fall into one lockstep. But the issue is, is if we at the church believe the stereotype, we'll ignore the person. We'll ignore the person. And so during the political season when they say all these people vote this way and all these people vote this way and all of these people vote this way. I want to say, wait a second here. I know like a bunch of people that you're claiming and, and I don't see that. 
Because people are unique and they're, and they're, and they're different and their lives very ever, rarely ever match up to just some big political statement. And so what Christ does is he meets you where you are in the exact need, at the exact time, at the exact place, all those things. It's totally curtailed to you, not a stereotype. So the church should put off all stereotypes and realize, hey, listen, God has pre-made this thing specifically for the individual. And so the church should be geared specifically towards the individual. Watch this. It's hard to love a stereotype. It's easier to love a person. Because if I believe everything about you that the stereotype says, it's going to be hard for me to break through that. You're a typical this. No, I'm not. Well, you're a typical preacher. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm this preacher. Well, you're a typical that. No, you're not. You're a child of God in all these unique ways. And just because you believe a certain thing about this doesn't make you typical anything. And so when the church rises up and sincere love proves itself out by by loving individuals, not groups, then guess what it does? It makes the church diverse and it makes the church unique and it makes the church unlike anything else on the planet. Because I don't care about the stereotype you walked in with. I care about you. Jesus didn't say, here he comes, Pharisee, get ready, boys. (laughs) And he said, there's Nicodemus, let's talk. So what stereotypes do we need to drop for our love to be sincere? You know what's fascinating about this scripture? He he, he sticks something in there. So he's talking in verse 9. He says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be... And then verse 11, he he jams something in there. So in verse 9 and 10, he's talking about love each other. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 14, he starts talking about people who persecute you. So he's saying, in your church, in your group, love one another, honor one another above yourselves. And then when he jumps down to 14, he says, hey, listen, when you're dealing with people who don't like you, here's the way you act. But watch what he does in verse 11. He jams 11 and 12 and 13 in there. In between, and it goes like this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So watch this, 11 and 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Do you realize you can't do 9 and 10 or 14 and on? Without 11 and 12? Here's the trick of the enemy. We're getting ready to vote. It's the most important vote ever. And you should go vote. And by the way, all joking aside, you should go vote. It's your American civic duty. You get the opportunity. I've been in countries where it doesn't matter. You can vote. They're going to do what they want to do. In this country, it matters. So go do it. Yay. He says, honor people above you and don't return hate for hate. But right in the middle of that, he says, make sure you get the main thing, the main thing. Because you won't be able to do 9 and 10 
or 13 or 14 and on if you don't get your spiritual zeal right. So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us wrapped up in a conflict with people that we're supposed to love and then we're supposed to make politics the most important part of the day. Paul says, don't lose your spiritual fervor. He's not saying being disengaged from politics, but he's saying in the light of politics, keep your spiritual fervor. So I can be involved in politics, keep my spiritual fervor and not hate the person that doesn't doesn't believe the way I do. What the enemy tries to do is try to make you mortal enemies. So you don't believe the way I do. So I can't love you. I can't like you. I can't. My kids aren't coming over to your house. You're not going to their house. You know who they voted for. He tries to keep us so worked up about not the main thing. So Paul says, if you're going to honor people and you're going to do good to people that persecute you, then guess what? In the middle, you better make sure your spiritual fervor is at an all-time high because this ain't an easy task, bro. He said, this is not going to be easy. So get ready. If you're going to honor people above you, if you're going to love sincerely and you're going to not do bad to those people that persecute you, but you're going to bless them, then make sure your spiritual fervor is at all time high. Go after God with everything you have and make sure the main thing is the main thing because we can get pulled off track so quick. Never be lacking in zeal. Zeal for what? Zeal for his kingdom come. Zeal for the love of God. Zeal for that person, regardless of how they vote, needs Jesus. Some of you will think this is funny. Others of you will realize the dichotomy I'm in. I used to have this conversation with my wife. I used to think, let me back up. How many of you, when you came to Christ, were instantly sanctified? All sin was gone. You never sinned anymore. It was the most beautiful thing. Your wife looked at you and went, you are a descendant of God. Like, you're the perfect man. Anybody have that happen to you? (laughs) I should have known. Okay. We'll talk. So, um... So what happens is sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, less sin and more holiness in our lives. It's a process. We believe that this church is a process. And all of you day after day are proving to me that it's a process. (laughs) Or we'd all be perfect, right? Amen. So what happens is, is the process of sanctification required... It looks like this, that if I've been saved 10 years ago, the things that I did 10 years ago, I probably don't do all of them now because of my relationship with Christ. I have been freed from being a slave of sin and now I'm a slave to righteousness, the Bible says. And so the things that I used to do, I don't do all of them anymore. But then there's a part where Paul talks about the things I I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. He says, I still have this conflict in me that even though this process of sanctification is taking place in my life and there's things that I don't do anymore, there's still things that I struggle with. So what happens is you can be saved 10 years, not deal with some things, but other things you still deal with. Clean up after dinner. Please. For the millionth time. He said there's some things we still struggle with. And so what happens is. 
But what happens is this. We have a tendency to take snapshots in people's lives. I heard from a leader a long time ago. When you correct people, you have to, you have to ask yourself, is it a snapshot or a movie? If it's a snapshot, you deal with people differently than if it's a movie. If it's a repeated thing over and over and over and over and over again. So what I, what I found out about me is I can change my opinion about things. Matter of fact, the closer I get to Christ, the more likely I am to change my opinion. Right. Yeah. Amen? Amen? But what I have to realize about people is that that's a process. So I used to be naive and I used to tell my wife, like, I thought when they got saved, they'd be smarter. Like, I thought it was just a benefit of being saved. Like, you got saved and your IQ went up 30 points. And then I realized salvation does not equal intelligence. It just equals the grace of God. Some of you are like, I know who he's talking about. I got one in my family. Came to Christ and it didn't help. They're going to heaven, but it didn't help much else. Okay, so here's the deal. So we wait for the process. Matter of fact, that's a core value of Hedgesville Church, the process. We're waiting for the process. The process is going to take place. The sanctification process is taking place in people's lives. So if somebody has a political view that's different than mine, is it a chance they could change their mind in the next 10 years? If you can't, if you can't rationalize in your head how somebody could believe in Jesus and then believe that, could it be possible that they could change their mind the closer they'd get to Christ? And my job is to love them through the process. The main thing is the main thing. And if I get off the main thing, that I get so concerned about this political stuff and what they believe in a moment versus the process of Christ's sanctification over a lifetime. And so I will give up on a person in a moment because they disagree with me versus digging in for the sanctification. (laughs) I just said I'm right. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, I want Christ to work his will and way out in their life, life, not me. It's going to be so shocking in heaven, right? I just got a feeling we're going to get there and be like, you? You made it? This grace thing was real, man. It's real. Keep the most important thing, the most important thing, Jesus. Love people. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says Jesus went through all the towns. And villages teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And there was no litmus test. He didn't, he didn't walk through and say, you've had your chance. Or, or, or you should have straightened up by now. Or well, how, do you, how do you even believe stuff like that? It says he walked through the towns and healed them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now think if the church thought of people this way. 
There's no mention of political bent. There's no mention of affiliation. There's no mention of cultural relevance. There's no mention, there's no mention of whether these are rich people or poor people. There's no mention of whether they had made it or not made it. There was no mention of any of it. There was just a mention of Jesus walking in among them, loving them, healing them, and having compassion on them. And you know what the result of that was? He turns to his disciples and says, there's more work to be done. Pray that God would send you help. The main thing is the main thing. It's compassion for lost people. Not a political affiliation. It's passion for lost people and saying, God, is there any way that you can help me minister to these people that don't think like me? God, is it possible that in the midst of this political climate that the church can raise up and show people what it looks like? Where at the end of the day, if you need healed, I'm not going to ask you if you agree with me or not. Jesus has compassion on him. He turns around to the disciples and says, man, there's a lot of work to be done. You better be praying for help. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your your spiritual zeal. Don't get sidetracked. Then he says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. (laughs) If there's ever a time where the church could stand up and prove this true. Bless those who call you names. Bless those who threaten you. Bless those who persecute you. Choose to bless people even if you'd rather cuss them. That's a little out of context. (laughs) He said, bless people, don't curse them. But here's here's what I've learned. If you want to cuss them, just keep your mouth quiet. You still have control of it. It's still your mouth. Choose to bless. Choose to bless. If we keep the most important thing, the most important thing, blessing people will come easier. Blessing people means don't only be sad with them, but rejoice with them. Did you see what he follows up bless people with? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Yeah. I read some commentary about this. And, and, the, and the author was saying that it's actually easier to mourn with people than it is, it is to rejoice with them. Because we very rarely ever, we, there's never a litmus test for mourning with people. We're like, oh, that's sad. Oh, man, I can't believe that happened. Uh, that's terrible. But we always use a litmus test before we rejoice. I can't be happy for them. I can't be happy for them. They're sinful. I can't be happy for them. They were the wrong political party. I can't be happy for them. No, he says, right after he says, bless those who persecute you, he says, rejoice with people. If God chooses to bless them, why can't we clap? Why can't we say, hey, good job, man. Now, I'm not saying if they rob a bank, clap. I'm saying just, I learned this from, from some guys a, a, a good while ago. There's something to do with being prideful and being able to rejoice with other people. Being jealous and being able to rejoice with other people. I can't believe that they think the way they think and God would still allow them to succeed. I, I want to say, I could say the same thing about me. 
You know what the, one of the biggest dichotomies in my spiritual life is? Is that I know that I can do these things over here and God will still bless me over here. Oh, I'm the only one. Fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> that I know that I can think this way and God would bless me this way. I know that I could treat people this way and God would bless me this way. Do you realize the biggest dichotomy in your life is that God is still blessing you? That's the crazy part, that God is still blessing us. We, we come in and we, and, and we do our best and our best is still not good enough. And, and we rely on his grace and mercy and we sin and we sin, except Adam. And we sin and we sin and we sin and, um, and we sin and he still blesses us. So here's the deal. So if God, if Christ came to us that way, how does the church go to anyone else other than that way? And so when we keep our mouth shut, when somebody is blessed, I just prayed that way this morning. God, we know all good things come from you. All good things come from you. And so if my political opponent succeeds at something, I'm not cheering for them. I'm not cheering for them. You know they're bad. No, it says rejoice with those who rejoice. Hey, man, good job. You got this one. I'm going to be gunning for you next time. No. Good job. Why can't we just rejoice? Why do we have to have agreement before we can celebrate? Mm. Just be happy for people. I started hanging around some guys and they were very successful. And uh, way more successful than I've ever been really. And I started hearing the way they talked. You'd hear about somebody doing well. And it would come up a conversation. They would say, man, did you hear about this guy made blah, 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 blah. He did this, this, and this, and this. And you know what? There was no pretext for it. They just went, man, good for you. Good for you. Man, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. And I just thought, well, wait a second. I don't know if I agree with that. (laughs) And God started teaching me, why are you so pompous? Why can't you just be happy for people when they make it? And I was like, yeah, but God, it doesn't look like their life is lining up with the way you think things should line up. And he says, you're done either. And I'm like, you don't have to be so rough. But you start realizing that part, part of entering into people's lives with love is to be able to celebrate when good things happen. Even if you don't agree with them on everything. Amen? Celebrate, rejoice when people rejoice, and mourn when people mourn. We're going to choose to bless people and bless people and bless people. Don't let your pride or position keep you from associating with people. He says, don't, don't think too highly of yourself. This is the last thing. Watch this. This is a difficult, one of the most difficult things. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. The band's going to come. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That statement right there catches me every time. I told the first service, I got a wife and three kids. I can't do right in front of four people most of the time. How in the world am I supposed to navigate everybody? But then he clarifies it a little bit. He says, do not... Repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
If it is possible, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on, let's say that together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on, peace is our responsibility. Peace is our responsibility. Live at peace with everyone. Peace is your responsibility. I am never going to get suckered into a fight. It's not going to happen. I was a teenager once. Think about it. My brother's two years younger than me. He suckered me into a fight every time. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but we, you know... We're 17 years old. We're fist fighting out in, the, out, out in the kitchen. My dad comes out. He's like, you two are going to kill each other. Then he started hitting us. And I'm like, well, you're going to kill us. So what I realized was, is I always had the opportunity to love and walk away and not, and not engage in the, in the fight. That was my choice. And my dad would always say this. This is old school right here. He'd say, it takes two to tango. And when I was a teenager, I was like, what's a tango? I don't even know what that means. He'd say it takes two to tango. Now that I'm older, I realize it really does take two to tango. And you look weird tangoing by yourself. So as far as it depends on us, peace is coming. I seem to remember a really important sermon Jesus preached on a hillside. And he said, blessed are the So the church has this amazing opportunity to love sincerely, to get the right thing, the right thing, and to bless and bless and bless and bless. And when it comes to us, we're bringing peace to the table. We're not bringing conflict. We're not bringing anything else. But if it depends on me, it's going to be peaceful. If it depends on us, the church, we're going to love people and we're bringing peace. Because the peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says, will guard my heart and mind. And so if I'm bringing anything with me, it's peace. I'm not going to let Satan dupe me into some fight that doesn't matter. I'm not going to let him dupe me into hating somebody that at the end of the day could end up agreeing with me anyway. I'm not going to get tricked into a political stance that overrides the gospel. stance that leaves no room for the gospel. So do I believe what I believe? Absolutely. But are you more important than that? You better believe it. You better believe it. And if it means I can't talk politics, that'll be the first thing to go because peace is coming with me. Peace is coming with me. And the next time you walk into your office, you put aside. Peace is coming with me, bro. I'm not arguing about this stupid stuff anymore because at the end of the day, how many people have we really convinced? transcend every argument. The love of Christ can reach down into the deepest, darkest people. The love of Christ can do what no political argument could ever even imagine doing. But the love of Christ can redeem, can set free, can heal, can do all those things that we all need. So tomorrow, when it depends on us, when it depends on us, I'm going to be zealous for the right thing. Tomorrow when it depends on us, I'm going to bless people. 
going to be happy for you. Tomorrow, when it depends on us, my love is going to be sincere. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? My email address is pastorchrishc at gmail.com. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we pray during this heated political climate that your love would shine through. I pray that the church would shine through. I pray that the church would be peace in the midst of a storm. I pray that when we leave this building and the church does what we're supposed to do, there would be more peace in the work environment. There would be more peace in families. There would be more peace between friends. Lord, I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding would guard us and that your gospel would be successful in any political environment. And we thank you for this opportunity. We pray you empower us to do your work. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him honor and praise today's God.